If you could swallow a pill that would give you 20 more years of healthy life, would you do it? For thousands of years and all over the world, humans have searched for potions and elixirs that would delay their old age and cure them of diseases. From Sisyphus to Harry Potter, literature is filled with these heroes and villains striving to cheat death. What if our forefathers' failure to find this elixir wasn't because it's impossible, but because they were looking in the wrong place? What if the key to longer, healthier life doesn't lie in unlocking the secrets of some substance or spell, but in unlocking the secrets of our own biology? Today on CTOR, we'll talk to one scientist whose research may help us slow down the clock. This, 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 this is Carry the One, Carry the One Radio, the science podcast, igniting scientific curiosity, the University of California, California, San Francisco. Hi, I'm Peter Chisnell. And I'm Sam Ancona Esselman. And today we're going to talk about how new science might help us live longer, healthier lives. Since 1850 in the U.S., life expectancy has gone from around 40 years to over 80 which is a huge increase. But what's interesting about that is that most of the increases come from medical advances like clean water and antibiotics, and those stop young people from dying. We can take out the reduction in lifespan caused by infant mortality and young people dying by looking at how long 70-year-olds are expected to live in both 1850 and today. And if you do that, you see that today, a 70-year-old lives about 6% longer than a 70-year-old back in the day, which is great, but that's not double. And this has caused scientists to wonder if we're maybe butting up against some natural limit to our lifespan. Think of life like a game of Jenga on a shaky table. Having better treatments for the flu, infections, and various other medical conditions stabilizes that table and makes it easier to play the game. But with each passing year, we're still slowly but surely creating an ever more unstable tower until finally... What if we could do more than just stabilize the table? You know, take blocks from the top of the tower and put them back into the base to create a longer-lasting, more stable tower. What if we could extend our years of healthy living? The research of Dr. Dina Dubal may help us do just that. I'm Dina, and I'm a physician scientist. And so I am a neurologist by training. I see um, patients at our county hospital. And I'm also a neuroscientist, and so I direct a laboratory that studies aging and the brain. What is aging, exactly? We see it in our relatives, we see it in our pets, and, you know, we see it in the mirror, of course. But what is it? And you ask the question of, um, what is aging, as a first, just innocent little question. (laughs) With a straightforward answer. And the answer is is that it is not, well, maybe I'll back up and say um, it's probably as complex as we make it, but in its very simple form, aging is, um, is what happens to our cells, our organs, our body with the passage of time. Why do organisms live to be a hundred and some die at five? And you know, what what is the biology of aging? It's so like beautiful and fundamental. We still have so much to learn about that. Over the course of our lives, our bodies have to switch from sleeping to running, to switch from being hungry to being overwhelmed with sugar. 
We have to fight off diseases and microbes, and we have to heal broken bones. And your heart and lungs through all of this are working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And through all of that, your body has to keep you more or less the same. This is a crazy task for your body to undertake. And over the past three decades, scientists have been uncovering various strategies that the cells in our bodies use to bolster and repair or simply replace themselves to keep our bodies working properly. It's humbling. Like, studying aging is really humbling. And, um, and yet, it can seem so simple. And in fact, we have taken a very simple approach to studying aging in the brain. And we have asked um, often naive and simple questions like, can we block aging and block cognitive problems in the brain? You know, just really simple. Aging is the biggest risk factor for cognitive problems. Aging isn't just getting a little slower and a little weaker. It's actually the cause of tons of terrifying conditions. How many 30-year-olds do you know that have heart disease, Alzheimer's disease, or dementia? These conditions overwhelmingly affect older individuals. Something inside of us slowly falls apart over time, like that unstable Jenga game. Cognitive problems are one of the biggest biomedical challenges that we face. Why don't we just block aging? By now, there's decades of research showing that, that, that aging um, is a process that one can tinker with, you know, provocatively with, you know, single gene changes. And so we began that journey by studying a protein called clotho. This protein was named after the mythological Greek fate who spins the thread of life. Clotho had say over when mortals and even gods lived and died. So why is a protein named after this mythological figure? Well, like the Greek fate, this tiny cellular machine inside all of us may have a say in when we live and die. It was discovered by accident in the Nabashima lab in Tokyo, Japan, when they were trying to study high blood pressure by changing the mouse genome. But one day they noticed that some of their mice seemed to be aging faster than the others. So by just a few weeks or a, a couple of months, these mice uh, became hunchbacked. They were moving around slower. Um, their fur looked like very old fur. They just looked like they were aging faster. So then they took a closer look at the genome of these mice and found these animals had a mutation that caused them to produce less clotho. When they then used genetic tricks to give mice more clotho instead of less, they found those mice lived longer and healthier lives. So less clotho means shorter life, and more clotho means longer life. This lifespan extending effect also happens in other animals, like worms and flies. And there's some reason to believe that it works in us as well. Obviously, it isn't ethical or practical to change the genome of a bunch of human babies and wait 80 years to see how things turn out. But it turns out that there's a natural genetic change in about one out of five people where they produce a little more clotho than everyone else, about 15% more. And by studying these people that have more clotho, we can get a clue about how it affects us humans. They produce more clotho, and those people tend to live a little longer and have less heart disease, kidney disease. So they have improved kidney and heart health. But what about brain health? So much of what we hate about aging isn't just that loss of strength and the aches and the pains. 
but a loss of quick thinking and memory. Dr. Duball wanted to know if these people with naturally higher levels of Clotho showed improved brain health. So she teamed up with another research group at UCSF to find out. Oh gosh, well this is the power of collaboration and the, and, um, and the impact of being at a place like UCSF is literally walking across the hallway and talking with Bruce Miller of the Memory and Aging Center and um, they have followed these individuals and really in detail phenotyped these individuals over a period of time. This cohort is a group of volunteers, you know, normal people. They're tested to see whether or not they have normal levels of Clotho or if they're those one in five individuals that have 15% more. And then Dr. DeBall looked to see if that variation in Clotho levels correlated with their brain health, their cognitive ability. You know, this is these are tests done on several hundred, close to a thousand individuals. And um, so what those tests are, are a series of neuropsychologic tests. And um, when I've administered them to people, I like to describe them as um, puzzles. They probe the function of different areas of our brain. Some examples of those functions are executive functions, um, memory, language, visuospatial function. And I started with executive function because that's where we saw the strongest association. So let's take executive function, which is a very large catch-all term for things like problem solving, controlling your attention and, and holding multiple ideas in your head all at once. One puzzle that tests this is a connect the dots puzzle where you're connecting dots like A, B, C, D, or one, two, three, four, but you have to switch between the two lists. So you would actually connect A to one, then one to B, then B to two, and so on, switching between where you are in the list of letters and the list of numbers. So connecting the dots as fast as they can in the correct order as um, instructed. And there's a score. And that, again, probing a very specific type of cognitive function, executive function, really tells us about the speed of thinking in this individual and their ability to, um, to hold information and shift between pieces of information. And after looking at all these people's data, they found that the ones with more clotho tended to perform better with faster thinking than the people with less clotho. Okay, so this is some awesome data. People who have higher levels of clotho tend to live longer, age better, and have sharper minds throughout all of it. But Dr. Duball wanted to go a little bit further to just really nail this down. So first, she wanted to show that, that this doesn't just hold up for this random group of people at UCSF. So she looked to other parts of the country and found that with other groups of older adults, the same thing is true. Higher levels of clotho mean better thinking. Next, she wanted to show that clotho was actually causing this increase in cognition. So. This may seem a little nitpicky, but it's actually extremely important for the science. The, the issue is that the human data is only a correlation. Better thinking and aging is correlated with higher clotho, but that doesn't mean that clotho is actually causing those effects. So to see if she could show that increased clotho wasn't just associated with smarts, but was actually causing them, she reran the studies in mice. And in mice, unlike humans, we can genetically control whether they have higher or lower levels of clotho. Mice are amazing. Having seen this really strong link in humans, and again, association, I, like we really wanted to know, 
is this causation? Does Clotho actually increase brain function? Um, which is a very, very different question and a very powerful question um, compared to does Clotho associate with better function? We can't train mice to connect the dots, but we do have, you know, mouse-sized memory tasks to study their brain health. One, which we call the Morris water maze, is where a mouse is placed in a pool of opaque water, and somewhere in that pool is a hidden platform that, you know, the mouse wants to get to so it can stop swimming. So over time, the mouse learns, based on visual cues around the room, where that platform is in the pool. And then when you place it in, it'll just go to the platform quickly every time. And, and so when Dr. Duball tested these mice, she found that her finding held up. Higher levels of Clotho meant smarter mice. And not only this, but when mice with a condition a lot like Alzheimer's disease, when they have higher levels of Clotho, they actually seem to be more resilient and less affected by the condition. And so animal models, mice, um, cellular models, really allowed us to probe causatively whether Clotho caused the brain to function better. And we found that yes, it, it does. Clotho increases function of the brain. Then we wanted to know, wow, how does it do this? And can we take this back to humans? Is there a therapeutic route that started with a curiosity and passion for aging and may end up with a therapeutic for increasing brain function, maybe increasing resilience of the brain to aging and disease? Bridging that gap between making mice healthier and making people healthier can be extremely difficult. We can alter the genome of a mouse to give it more clotho, but changing a person's DNA, that's actually really hard. And usually to treat humans, scientists look for drugs that we can swallow or inject that have a similar effect. And Dr. Dubal had the idea that we might be able to skip this whole process by using clotho itself as a medicine. So. Clotho is produced all over your body, but mainly in your brain and in your kidneys. And it exists in two forms. The first form is attached to your organs. So it has this little anchor which sticks into your kidney and it hangs out there on the outside of your cells. And the second form happens when that anchor gets cut. There are enzymes that come along and cleave the protein so that the majority of the protein gets cleaved off of the membrane and then flows around. Dr. Dubal wondered if this floating piece of clotho could be what was causing that increase in brain health she'd seen in both humans and mice. So she tried an experiment where she treated clotho like a medicine and gave completely normal mice an injection of the floating form of clotho. Just injected it and asked the question, do the mice perform better or not? And of course you do these studies blinded, um, and randomized and um, in the most rigorous way possible. And we found that those mice that had been treated within four hours had better brain function. Four hours after being given more cloth, though, the mice were doing better on these cognitive tests. They were smarter. This worked in young mice, old mice, and mice that have that Alzheimer's-like condition. By those mouse neuropsychological tests and mazes, um, 
their brains really functioned better within a short period of time. And again, that's causation, an acute increase in treatment with a specific form of the clotho protein given peripherally increased brain function. But clotho can't enter the brain if it's injected into some other part of the body. Something called the blood-brain barrier is working really hard to seal off the brain from the rest of the body, protecting it from infection. So how does this work? How can a piece of protein injected outside of the brain improve thinking so quickly? The short answer is, we don't know yet. Even though we don't know exactly how it's working, the fact that it's doing something suggests exciting potential for using it as a treatment in people. If we dig into the fundamental um, biology and mechanisms of how clotho acts, how it transduces a signal into the brain, what does it bind to, um, what does it do to the synapse, the site of neural communication. And then we are also um, asking with really awesome biotech partners, how can we take this into humans? And um, can, can there be benefit for people that suffer from cognitive problems? We know that in both mice and humans, more clotho is associated with healthier aging, both physically and mentally. And now we know that simply injecting this protein can make mice smarter. So then it's possible that this could improve cognition of people with dementia or other cognitive issues or maybe even help stave off something like heart disease and keep us healthier longer. Dr. Dubal wants to work with some companies in the near future to test and see if this can be used as a therapy in people. So far, we've been discussing how all this was discovered, but there's also the question of why is Dr. Dubal studying this? And even... Peter, it's because everyone wants to live longer. Like, shouldn't we all be studying this? Yeah, I mean, I think so. But I think a lot of people wonder if we should even be delving into these issues at all. I mean, so I study longevity, and I know that there's a huge range of opinions about, you know, the ethical implications of slowing down human aging. Oh, like, we don't know what we're getting into. Yeah. Yeah, I think one big thing people imagine is that we'll be extending how long we're alive, but, like, not our health. So, you know, if you see how unhealthy people can get at the end of their lives, I don't think anyone wants to extend that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we just have this gut-level intuition that there's, like, no such thing as a free lunch, that something which gives us extra life must then, in turn, take something away, you know? Yeah. I mean, luckily... That doesn't seem to be the case. So most things scientists have discovered in the lab that increase how long animals live also increases how well they live. Mm, That's a good point. So increasing human, and actually increasing human health rather than age is what most aging researchers are focusing on. Our laser focus is on developing therapies, uncovering the biology that can lead to bettering the human condition for Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, whatever the cognitive problem is. For humans, the end game really is how can we increase our health span? And that may go hand in hand with an increase in lifespan because the things that help us to live longer are also the things that help us to live better. But I mean, even if you accept all of that and that feels okay, there are still other issues, right? I mean, like, you have all this literature and fiction that 
carries these warnings about these crazy dystopias that stem from the exact kind of thing that Dean is talking about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I just, I think just like any technological advancement, it brings up questions of how will this change society? Mm -hmm. How should this be regulated? How should this be shared? Clotho does take us down. We have to acknowledge that road. Um, And it can also um, pose ethical challenges that we would just really have to think and act upon to make sure that there was justice and equity. I've given you know, many talks and I've had just great conversations um, with groups and individuals and scientists and non-scientists, and people are so varied. I always assumed people would want to live, like if we could live to be 120, you know, why wouldn't you want to live to, why wouldn't you live to be 120? Um, but but I acknowledge that people feel like, you know, we're here on Earth for a certain amount of time. And like, are you tinkering with that? That's so weird and wrong. Um, but I think that's a really personal opinion where I'm of the opinion that I would love to live as long as I can with a vibrant, sharp mind and with great mobility. And for me, that's... Um, well, a personal preference. <laughs> but it's also something, um, it's, it's also maybe something ethical and philosophical. For example, you know, we, we learn so much throughout our life and get to a point where we're contributing to society. And, and, and there's this paradox of aging of the brain, right, where we become wiser, and yet we become more vulnerable to these processes that literally erode our thinking so how do these things to how do these things go together well one simple idea is just get rid of the things that erode our brain and allow us to become wiser more experienced maybe we would even have a better society you know if we weren't dying off at 80 or 90 maybe we could really affect change by living longer with great wisdom episode was produced by me, Peter Chisnell, and Sam and Kona Esselman. We had a lot of great editing help from everyone at the Carry the One Radio team. If you want to know more about this episode, like the music we used, please log on to carrytheoneradio.com. If you like Carry the One Radio and you like the episodes we produce, please consider becoming a supporting member at patreon.com slash carrytheoneradio. We really appreciate each and everyone's support. We have to thank especially our science producers, Sama Ahmed and Tom and Julie Jones. You, the listener, can become a science producer if you donate only 10 or more dollars per episode. You can find us at our website or SoundCloud or iTunes or really wherever you like to get your podcasts. Carry the One Radio partners with the Berkeley Science Review, which is a science magazine by UC Berkeley graduate students. And it is not just for graduate students. It is not just for scientists. It is for everyone. You can read it at berkeleysciencereview.com. And remember, stay curious. Stay curious.